Women in STEM with Robots, the podcast for news and views on robotics. Hello and welcome to the Robots Podcast, episode 167. My name is Jana, and today is all about women in science. Exactly what that means, we'll tell you later. First, let's take a look at the latest robotics news with Christine. Thank you, Jana. Could a photography drone become one of the essential items we never leave the house without? Jason Lamb and his San Francisco-based Aericam company have created a portable photography drone for everyday use called Anura. Unlike other miniature drones, Anura can fit inside a pocket. It's a little larger and thicker than the 4.7-inch iPhone 6 when its roto arms are tucked inside its body. The arms are folded out for flight and the quadrocopter is piloted by an iOS or Android smartphone app, which streams video directly from a camera on the drone. Jason says that the Anora will have a flight time of around 10 minutes and that the Aericam plans to launch a Kickstarter campaign for Anora this month. Possible stretch goals for the campaign include implementing auto takeoff and landing, return home and follow the phone as features. Good luck to Jason and Aericam. The technology for high-quality prosthetic hands currently exists but is often too expensive for those who could benefit from it. Recognizing this problem, Open Bionics from West Bristol, England, entered Intel's Make It Wearable Challenge with their affordable but high-functioning prosthetic hand, which uses 3D printing to reduce manufacturing costs. Open Bionics' hand is structured much like a human hand. The 3D printed parts function as the bones. The tandem system consists of steel wires that are pulled by electric motors acting as muscles and a rubber coating functions as skin for grip. The hand is controlled by electronics to emulate natural movement and to aid in grabbing various objects. As finalists, Open Bionics have already won $50,000 in the Make It Wearable Challenge, and they will be competing in November for the $500,000 first prize. For more information about personal drones and robotic prosthesis, visit robohub.org. Ada Lovelace Day is an international celebration of the achievements of women in science, technology, engineering and maths, STEM. The day was founded by Sue Charman Anderson and aims to raise the profile of women in STEM by encouraging people around the world to talk about women whose work they admire. To celebrate Ada Lovelace Day, our interviewer A. Jung conducted a series of three interviews. She spoke with the Tipperman sisters about their robot springboard, with Ross Mead, a PhD student who has years of experience organising robotics events and inspiring young minds, and with Professor Elizabeth Croft, a roboticist who also happens to study the topic of women in STEM. I'm joined here by two 17-year-old twin sisters, 
Hannah and Rachel Tipperman from Pennsylvania, who happen to have founded a robotics outreach initiative called Robot Springboard. Hello, Hannah and Rachel. Welcome to Robots Podcast. Thank you. Uh, so, I'm Rachel. Hi. Um, Rachel, can you introduce yourself for the audience? Um, I'm Rachel. I'm 17, and I'm one of the co-founders of Robot Springboard. Okay. Um, and hello, Hannah. Can you introduce yourself? Sure. Um, I'm Hannah Tipperman. I'm also 17, and I'm one of the co-founders of Robot Springboard. Okay. Uh, so, Hannah, could you tell us a little bit more about Robot Springboard? Sure. So, Robot Springboard is basically um, a nonprofit organization that's dedicated to bringing um, both STEM exposure and STEM education to children that otherwise might not have a chance to really um, find out about um, STEM and the opportunities that it has. So. We run um, a variety of different programs um, dedicated to teaching kids, um, and most of our programs are for uh, middle school and elementary students. Okay. Um, so, Rachel, I understand that you both uh, attend an all-girl high school, is that correct? Yes. Okay. Does, so, does the, does the high school have robotics program as part of the curriculum at all? Um, yeah, so actually our school is actually pre-kindergarten through 12th grade. Um, and so we actually have a roller school dream lab. Um, they also do sea perch, and basically um, they have a lot of programs going on in the lower school. And in the high school, Hannah and I actually founded the high school's Vex Robotics team um, when we were sophomores. Wow, okay. Uh, so this is not something that you're doing as part of your um, credit, course credits to graduate, is that No, right? this is something. No, this is something that we're actually doing um, independently. It was something that we noticed in our own community and decided it would be something um, that we'd like to attempt. And it actually has not been done through our school um, at all. Mm-hmm. So, Hannah, can you tell us how you got involved in robotics in the first place? Um, and it, maybe there's a separate story for Rachel. <laughs> Um, it was actually kind of an accident on my part. Um, while my sister played lacrosse, I had to stay um, in the library because um, it was kind of where my parents picked me up and then go pick her up. And while I was there, I saw kind of a little flyer about after-school programs, and one of them was a program um, a Bryn Mawr College senior was running um, for middle school students that um, for robotics. And um, I went and I did it, and I thought it was awesome, and I wanted to keep doing it. So I kind of um, got my sister and two of my friends to um, make a start and join a robotics team with me. And um, that's how kind of I got started in robotics. It was really very much an accident. I see. So you're, you're the first to get involved. Um, Rachel, how was that experience for you, first time getting uh, perhaps dragged by or being excited to go follow along with Hannah onto this robotics event? Um, it was really kind of exciting. Um, I knew she really enjoyed the after-school program, and it was something that I thought was really cool because of lacrosse I couldn't participate in. Um, so when she said that she wanted to start a team, I really kind of jumped at the chance because it seemed like this was a cool thing that we could share together. Um, and then it not only ended up being something that, you know, was kind of fun and ended up being something that we both realized we loved, um, and it ended up just being this great opportunity not only um, for us to kind of learn more about STEM, but also for us to spend time together, um, do more activities together. So uh, it was a really great experience. 
Mm-hmm. And is that how you were inspired to start Robot Springboard in the first place? Yeah, I think with Robot Springboard, um, we really had had uh, a series of incredible mentors and opportunities. And, you know, it was really one of those things where this program and robotics um, and STEM had just kind of given us so much that we were looking for a way to how can we pay this forward? You know, how can we make sure that we are spreading the opportunity, we are spreading the knowledge, you know, we're giving other kids a chance to be impacted by something that was so um, impactful to us. And that's kind of how Robot Springboard was born because we were like, you know, why don't we try to run these courses? Why don't we try to spread this awareness? Um, because, you know, we were capable of it. We were capable of running these courses. We were capable of teaching other kids, um, you know, and it was kind of our chance to really, like I said, you know, make sure that we were able to um, pay for the impact that uh, STEM had on us. Hmm. So Hannah, you, um, you and your sister both have gone to Alaska and even Costa Rica to do these outreach activities, which is quite far from Pennsylvania where you live. Um, so what inspired you to reach out to these people or people in these regions in particular? Um, well, in particular, part of the reason um, that we decided to go to Alaska was we'd been there previously and we'd actually met um, a retired high school principal and we kind of told him that we liked robotics and robotics education and he said that one of the hardest things kind of in Alaska was that it was really hard to um, get kids to even just sort of be, you know, be exposed to STEM. And um, we actually emailed a bunch of people um, asking if they'd be interested in having us come run a course and we wouldn't charge for it. We wouldn't have to worry about we just needed a space and kind of a contact there. And we actually got a lot of no's and rejections and even some just no response. But um, eventually we actually um, ended up working with the um, Austin Center for Coastal Studies. I'm pretty sure I have that right. And uh, they were an amazing partner. And that was our first ever camp was actually in Alaska, um, not in Pennsylvania. And we decided to do a camp in um, a location that wasn't in our home because we thought it would kind of show that um, we were able to do, if we were able to do a long-distance program, we could definitely do a program closer to home. And um, as for Costa Rica, um, Rachel and I have both taken Spanish for, I think, five years at this point um, in school. And um, we also knew um, a lot about uh, different international initiatives, She Will, uh, Global Girls, Girl Rising, and they all those really inspired us. So um, we ended up contacting um, a couple of different organizations in Costa Rica, and we ended up working with the um, Monteverde Friends School and um, running a course there. And we also worked with the Omar Dango Foundation and Intel to run another course in San Jose. So um, those were both incredible experiences and um, really, really impactful for us. Wow. So before um, you guys were able to kickstart these projects outside of your, your home area, um, you said that you did get a lot of rejections. How how was that for you? Why why were there so many rejections? You know, I think that when um, you have kids, particularly because we were um, sophomores in high school, um, I think when you have kids who are offering to do robotics programs, and I think also when they're offering to do them for free. And in the case of Alaska, we were really not established at all. Um, this would be the very first program we run. And it was also so far away from sort of our quote-unquote home base. Um, I think there's a little bit of apprehension because you don't really know what you're getting into. You know, you don't know 
these kids really know what they're talking about? Is this some sort of scam? You know, why are they offering to run it for free? Why are they offering to run it so far away? Um, so I think the rejections are all reasonable um, because I think that it's hard to take risks with programs in general, and I think it's particularly hard to take risks with a program when it's run by two 15 turning 16-year-olds. Um, and, you know, I think for us, we understood it. Um, we really didn't let us discourage it because it is, you know, when one door closes, another door opens. You can't take no at face value. You have to keep looking for other opportunities and looking for other ways to kind of um, persevere. And eventually, you find a place that's willing to work with us. And then from there, once you kind of had our first course, once it was successful, um, and then later on, once we had partnered with um, Drexel University to run camp there um, for inner city uh, Philadelphia girls, I think that it showed that, you know, we were established, we knew what we were doing, we knew what we were talking about, you know, we could deliver a product, in this case a camp and a STEM education, and then from there um, was a lot, uh, people were a lot more receptive to sort of um, our camp and letting us run them, um, but in general I do think it had to do with a combination of age and the fact that it was free, I think there's a little bit of, you know, what are we really getting into, you know, what are these kids really how much these kids really know at their age um, and how much they know that they can offset for free. So I see. Um, so I understand that you are now reaching out to wider age groups as well through something called Bright Start Robotics. Um, Hannah, would you be able to tell us a little bit more about Bright Start Robotics? Sure. So Bright Start Robotics, is um, they run programs for um, parents and their children who are in grades... Um, from anywhere from about kindergarten to third grade. Um, and the idea is that we teach the kids about, you know, basic STEM principles. They build a robot. They get to program it. And because their parents are there, their parents learn about the different opportunities that their kid has in STEM and also how much fun their kid has because they are fun course. I mean, they're fun for us to run, and they're fun for, um, I think, the parents as well because they get to see how into it their kids can get. Um it also is good because, you know, parents know best how their children learn. So since the kids are younger, they sort of also get the kind of parental help. Um, and the idea behind that is basically just um, early exposure to STEM and also to show that, I mean, young children really can learn about computer programming and robotics and, um, you know, other principles, um, even though they're younger, because most of the time people think, oh, well, it's a really complicated thing. I should wait to teach my kid about it. But in reality, young kids are definitely... Um, uh, more than ready to learn about um, STEM. Mm-hmm. And how young are these kids again? Um, they can actually be, we've had some first graders and kindergartners up to fifth grade. So it's a very wide age range. Um, for the most part, we try to keep the age range similar though. So if we're running a course, um, you know, where there are a lot of fifth or fourth graders, we try to keep it mostly fourth and fifth graders. Um, and then if it seems like there's a lot of interest for, you know, first and second graders try to keep them together um, because they think it actually makes the courses run a lot more smoothly when you kind of have kids who are in the same place generally um, in terms of their education. Mm-hmm. So um, now it's it's two of you, <laughs> both girls, uh, who started this initiative. Do you think it's important for girls or young people like yourselves to teach each other or teach other young girls robotics rather than uh, perhaps older adults? Do you think this makes a difference and why? I think it actually makes um, a tremendous difference. Um, one of the organizations that we're both involved with is NCUIT, which is the National Center for Women and Information Technology. 
And um, one thing they focus on and the one thing that we really focus on is near-to-peer learning, um, where the people you're learning from are very, very close to your own age. And some of our best learning experiences have been from people close to our own age. We've had amazing computer science teachers who are older than us, but also some amazing teenagers who kind of guide us along the way. And I think that the advantage of near-to-peer learning, and I think that the advantage um, for girls learning from other girls um, and girls learning from other women is that it really shows them that it's accessible. Um, this is something that anyone can do, and especially when a field like STEM has a little bit of a stereotype of it's a all-man field, you know, it's really, you know, not a place for women. When you see girls and women who are not only involved but teaching and kind of spreading their knowledge, I think that it can be a very positive impact on young girls. Um, and I think that it really kind of takes away some of the fear because, you know, there is a stereotype that everyone who is in STEM has been coding since they were three years old and the first language they learned was C++ before they learned to speak English, you know. So I think that by having kids who and I got involved in it in middle school, which is early, but it's later than a lot of kids would expect, um, and I think that it really creates uh, an open forum for discussion because they see that this is something that we really enjoy, but also something that hasn't been something that we've done for our whole life. This is something that we found, that we enjoy, that we love, um, and that we really want to share with them and really want to make sure that this is a positive learning experience as they can get. And they also feel that um, you know they can really access whatever they want because we're so close to their own age. You know, we were in their place um, a few years ago in terms of just starting out, you know. So a lot of the kids that we're teaching for our Bright Star course, when they walk out, um, actually have more experience and knowledge than we had when we were 13 or 14. Mm-hmm. So do you think your your peers, your um, perhaps um, female uh, school friends, still have a specific stereotype, some of the stereotypes that you mentioned, um, about what roboticists might look like? Um, I don't, that's kind of an interesting question. I think that my personal friends, because, um, I mean, I do a lot of robotics, so I talk about it pretty often, have kind of realized that people I know through robotics, they're all cool, nice people that I'm really good friends with. And I think they kind of realized that, yeah, that kind of whole idea that um, being in STEM, you tend to be, you know, a certain type of person isn't really true. And I think as more young women, um, especially, get involved in STEM, their friends and their peer groups realize that it's a much more accessible field than they thought. Um, So I'd say my personal friends have definitely, I think their opinions on it have definitely changed. Um, And I think other women who get into STEM, their their peer groups and their friends um, do see a change kind of uh, in the STEM field as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so do any of you have any role models in robotics? Well, um, not a woman, but I actually think Dean Kamen, who is the founder of FIRST, um, is a pretty incredible person. Um, he's an inventor, too, but um, I think really for him starting the FIRST program, that's definitely what um, I think is the coolest thing about him because it's been a program that's given me so much. and I've learned so much from I think it's also it's how a lot of teenagers get their start in robotics. Um, and I guess I'd also have to give a shout-out to um, Ada Lovelace as the first female computer programmer because uh, she's a very cool lady. So, you know, I think I almost have um, too many to kind of list out uh, 
kind of, because you're involved with NC White, you meet so many um, incredible people uh, who just, every day you're just astounded, you know, you log on to the Facebook page and you see one of the latest blogs and you're just like, wow, everyone in this organization has accomplished so much. You know, our computer science teacher, Dr. Blankenship, has been unbelievable in terms of supporting us, being a mentor, you know. Um, she's someone who, there is no challenge hard enough. You know, she is really someone who makes sure, you know, you realize everything is conquerable. Um, Dr. Popiak, who worked with at Drexel, helps on our Drexel camps um, in terms of, again, just being a huge supporter um, and really someone with such a can-do attitude. I mean, those are people who have been unbelievably influential and in, I think both our lives on top of, you know, Grace Hopper and seeing women like that who really are able to, um, you know, break down gender stereotypes and kind of create a legend for themselves. You know, she's immortalized not only in her work, but in a, you know, conference. Um, it's pretty, pretty amazing to kind of see the different, different people, you know, Marissa Mayer, just so many, I think it's hard because there's so many people who um, are absolutely inspiring um, in technology, especially in this day and age. Um, yeah. You know, there's really no dars of people to look up to. That's really awesome to hear. Um, so I understand that you're both working on your college applications. Um, are any of you applying to engineering programs or STEM programs? Yeah, I think we're actually, um, not to speak to both of us, but I think that we're both applying uh, mainly to computer science programs. Uh, that's what I want to major in. I'm really interested in computer science and economics. Um, so looking to do some sort of um, dual major, dual concentration, or maybe um, you know a major and a minor. Uh, computer science as a major, econ as a minor. Um, you know, I think computer science is something that I'm so in love with and so obsessed with that uh, it was pretty much a no-brainer when it came to applying to college that this was something that I was most definitely going to continue with. Yeah, I think I have pretty much an identical answer, um, although I will say that I think while Rachel kind of is more into the numbers, economic side, I really like um, psychology personally, so human-computer interaction and artificial intelligence are kind of things that um, I really want to work with more, and I'm really excited to try to learn about um, in college. Okay, that sounds so exciting. Um, thank you so much for both of you for all your hard work and for taking the time for the podcast. And uh, good luck with your university applications. Thank you. Thank, thank you so much. So, hello, Ross. Thank you for joining us at Robot Podcast. Um, could you be able to introduce yourself for the audience, please? Sure. Uh, my name is Ross Mead. I am a PhD student at the University of Southern California working in the Interaction Lab with Professor Maya Matarik. Okay. Um, so I understand that you're one of the organizers, organizers of uh, a conference called GSER this year. Uh, what does GSER stand for and uh, what is it all about? GSER is the Global Conference on Educational Robotics. It's a conference that engages students, researchers, hobbyists, professionals, educators uh, in robotics activities and general robot enthusiasm to try and promote science, technology, engineering, and math. So it's essentially like an outreach um, initiative for you, is it? It's, uh, it's in some sense, it's outreach in that we try to bring in people from the community to engage in these different robotics activities, uh, which include uh, a 
robotics tournament or a series of robotics tournaments, actually. Um, but it also includes uh, very professional activities and, and research activities. So we have talks from researchers and educators from all over the world, uh, just like any professional conference. Uh, and what's really nice is we actually get the students engaged in those activities. So students will go to professional talks or research talks, and the students will ask questions. Uh, and then we also have a, uh, a student presentation session where we actually have some of these middle school and high school students who will get up and give talks in front of uh, big-name people. We had uh, CEOs and presidents of, uh, of universities and companies who were actually at the event uh, just looking in, checking out what kind of kids are coming through the STEM pipeline right now. Uh, and there actually were some job offers uh, made to kids who are fresh out of high school. Uh, so these are really bright kids and uh, really excited uh, companies uh, interested in seeing what these kids can do. Wow, that sounds very exciting. So is the event open just for high school students or is that open to younger students as well? Uh, GSER is primarily open to middle school and high school students. It has been like that for over a decade. Uh, but this was a unique year. So we actually just started the elementary botball challenge, which engages students in grades K through five. And uh, this was an international event. Uh, we had teams from all over the world uh, on the in the elementary challenge who were competing in various autonomous robot activities uh, where the robots were programmed in C. And uh, this is the first time that a lot of these students have been exposed to the C language and uh, autonomous robots. So uh, we had a lot of teams from uh, the kindergarten through fifth grade levels who were competing and uh, they had a really, really good time. It was really exciting. Uh, some of you know some of these some of these kids. It's interesting because they're learning their alphabet. You know, they're they're learning their ABCs and they're programming in C. So, you know, C stands for C code. <laughs> wow, <laughs> that sounds really exciting. Um, and how many people actually showed up for this event? Uh, in total, we had approximately fifteen hundred people uh, throughout the entire uh, five day event. Um, and uh, some of them are registered guests, and some of them are coming to see the robotics uh, tournaments. Uh, so it was free and open to the public, the, the robot tournaments were. And uh, people would come and just cheer for their favorite team and uh, uh, just have an overall great time watching robots compete. Okay. Um, so I understand that you've been involved with this organization um, and um, similar competitions for for STEM ed education for a while. Um, I was looking at your website and then um, I'm quoting you here, but um, you believe that using robots for STEM education provides direct and immediate feedback to students by physically embodying concepts learned. I find that really interesting. Can you tell us more about what you mean by that? Or is there a personal story about um, your belief? Well, sure. So. Uh, in terms of personal story, I think uh, my experience and what really got me into robotics, uh, I started doing computer programming when I was in high school, early uh, in my freshman year. And I really liked programming, but I didn't know what I wanted to do with it. And I had a really excellent uh, faculty member at my local university, Southern Illinois University, Edwardsville, where I'm from. Um, and uh, he came in and wanted to get high school students involved in robotics. And I thought, I can watch my code move, which seemed really exciting. And uh, we did that in high school. We competed against colleges at the high school level, and uh, we did really well. We won our first two years, and uh, I, you know, I 
the rest is history. I'm now a PhD student in uh, working in robotics. So it's uh, for, for me, it was something where I could, I could get hands on. It was something where I could see my mistakes physically manifest. I could watch my robot seem to work great and then drive down a set of stairs. So uh, it was really exciting to actually see the, these uh, concepts, these math and science and engineering concepts uh, manifest themselves in the real world and actually make a physical difference in the world. And I, I think that's what we try and do with students. So robots are in some sense a tangible interface. You can get hands on, you can touch them, um, and they can touch back. Um, and it, it's, it, it's really exciting to just see some of these STEM principles making their way into the real physical world. So um, based on your personal story, that it's, it's obvious that uh, your previous experience has made an impact on you um, in, in your career in robotics. But um, one question I have is that your mentor from many years ago was also a male figure. And given that we are doing a, uh, an episode on Ida Lovelace Day, um, do you think it makes more sense to have more women being represented in these kind of global events um, leading younger students through robotics? Absolutely. So you're absolutely right. Uh, my my former advisor, uh, Dr. Jerry Weinberg, was uh, well, is male, but he's also one of the uh, one of the largest advocates for women in STEM, and he sort of uh, gave that model to me as well. So uh, during my undergrad, we did one of the largest national studies on engaging women in science, technology, engineering, and math in the country, um, and uh, this was actually through the Botball Robotics Program, which was a part of GSER. And uh, what we were looking at were changes in student self-efficacy, uh, their belief about their abilities in STEM before and after uh, participating in the Botball Robotics program. And what we found was uh, uh, all-boy teams, you didn't see a big difference before and after going through a robotics program. They, they tend to be about the same in terms of the belief about their abilities because uh, right now our society tells uh, young boys that they're just good at these things, that you're automatically good at these things, which is not true. Um, and then with girls on the all-girl teams that we worked with, we saw a, a significant increase in uh, their belief about their abilities before and after uh, or from before uh, the Botball program to after. Uh, there was a significant increase in, in, in their belief that they could actually be successful in STEM studies and careers. Uh, the most surprising result that we saw, though, was that in mixed-sex teams, uh, groups with boys and girls, the self-efficacy of the girls went through the roof. And uh, it took us actually a long time to figure out really why this was. What, what was going on here that made, gave them uh, such an increase in their belief about their abilities? And the belief right now is that it's because they were getting direct feedback by observing the boys, people who at that age uh, – this is about the middle school age um, – at, at that age, they're – they're told that they're not good at this. The girls are told that they're not good at this. That this is a boy thing, and that's just not true. Um, and the girls were seeing uh, the same successes uh, in the boys that they were seeing in themselves, and they were seeing uh, the same failures in the boys that they were seeing in themselves. And what you find is that you know we're all the same. There's no difference. And uh, this was something that I got to be part of. I got to you know sort of help out during the study during my undergraduate studies, and it really got me involved in trying to get more underrepresented populations interested in STEM. So uh, 
of course, uh, we need more women in this field. It's it's really sad that you're effectively representing, you know, less than half of our population uh, in these areas. That's that's sad for everyone involved. Um, but not just women, you know, anyone who's underrepresented. So African Americans, Latinos and Latinas, uh, Native Americans are, are a very underrepresented population, uh, and working with people who are uh, at risk in Title One uh, situations. So. Um, really just trying to engage all these populations to make the world a better place through STEM. Hmm. So how well are women represented in um, getting involved in these kind of large events today? Like how is, um, how is the representation like for GSER this year? That, that's a great question. So, uh, you know, the event is so recent, I can't say what this year's GSER numbers were. Um, I want to say that we have at least one third uh, are women, which is larger than the the, the average for women in STEM. Um, last year in 2013, when we had uh, the Greater Los Angeles Botball Regional events, uh, there was about 50-50, which was really impressive. Um, so uh, this doesn't necessarily speak. Uh, for the rest of the country, and when we were doing this in Los Angeles, we also have to t tend to happen. Uh, we tend to have a larger uh, female population who's interested in these kinds of things. Uh, there are a lot of programs that, are, that try to get them more involved right now. Um, but you can see the impact that it's having. You can see that these numbers are increasing. So that's a positive thing. But the job's not done yet. I mean, frankly, the job feels like it hasn't even started. Uh, the numbers nationally are just so bad right now in terms of uh, women in STEM that we clearly have a lot of work to do. And there are a lot of these programs that are targeting girls, trying to get more girls involved. But one of the things I think we need to be doing is we need to be targeting boys and educating boys on understanding uh, understanding how to work with, with girls in this area. Because boys are wrong. They're told that they are great at these things that girls are not, and they're wrong. And it's, it's the teachers and it's the parents um, who are, you know, unintentionally sort of propagating some of these, uh, uh, these uh, stereotypes that are just flat out incorrect. And so we need to educate uh, the, the young boys, uh, as well as the young girls, of course, um, that we're all equal in this. We're all playing the same game and none of us are better or worse at it. We're all the same and we have, we all have a lot to contribute. So seeing female attendees or, or girls coming into um, uh, GSER on the first day, uh, do you see them having a specific stereotype of what a roboticist looks like or um, should be like? That is a great question. Uh, so you know what we had, uh, you know, we had some of the girls who were coming in and in, in uh, dresses, and some of them were, who were wearing pink, and you know, some of them who might be looking like some of the more stereotypical, you know, the, the stereotypes that we often associate with one group versus the other. You're, you're looking at an extreme. Um, you could also say that you have, you know, you had girls who had the glasses and were very, you know, if you want to play the stereotypes, the stereotypical computer scientists. And you had everything in between. Uh, you had, you know, girls with blue hair and with red hair, you know, dyed hair, had the punk rocker look. And what you find is that they're just themselves. That, that's the key, is that there's no type. There's no one type of girl, just like there's no one type of boy who goes into this kind of thing. They're themselves, and they just happen to be interested in these areas. So it's open to anyone. It's welcoming to everyone. Uh, 
you know, you can be whoever you want to be. You don't have to be the stereotypical, you know, closeted engineer, closeted scientist, and you don't have to be, uh, you don't have to be some really outgoing social uh, butterfly. Um, you can be anyone you want to be. Just be someone who does cool STEM work. That's great to hear. Um, so how long have you been involved in these kind of events and will you be continuing this work? I've been involved in, uh, in GSER and Botball and various robotics outreach activities for, uh, I guess it's 14 years now. Uh, my first involvement was actually as a participant um, and it you know had such a strong impact on me that I wanted to give back. I wanted to you know, make sure that everyone had an experience like I did, had the opportunity that I did because, um, you know, it changed my life. Um, and, uh, I definitely can see myself continuing to do this, especially in the Los Angeles area where I feel like we have such interesting underrepresented populations who are absolutely in need. And, uh, uh you know, there's a lot of work to do here. There's a lot of work to do and I'm, I'm happy to try and try and do it. Okay. Thank you very much for, um, for taking the time. Thank you. After my interview with Ross Mead, I went to speak with an expert who can talk about the topic of women in engineering. I wanted to ask her whether outreach activities can really make a difference in encouraging girls to go into engineering or robotics. Let's meet Dr. Elizabeth Croft. Dr. Croft, could you introduce yourself for us? Certainly, and thank you for inviting me to be with you here today, Ajung. And my name is Elizabeth Croft. I am the NSERC Chair for Women in Science in Engineering um, for the BC-Yukon region in Canada. And I'm also the Associate Dean for Education and Professional Development uh, in the Faculty of Applied Science at UBC. And I'm the Director of the Collaborative Advanced Robotics and Intelligence Systems Lab. Okay, so essentially you're a roboticist with a lot of interest in robot engineering, is that right? That's right. I uh, have a lot of interest in uh, human-robot interaction, a lot of interest in education, and a lot of interest in encouraging women to participate in science, technology, and engineering education. Okay, so it looks like I've come to the right place here. Um, so people at the Robots Podcast team, uh, we've been curious about the the impact of outreach activities and uh, what is the state of women in engineering in general? Is there actually a problem or can you tell us a, a few numbers here and there about the state? Sure. So in Canada, about 11% of our professional engineers are women. In our undergraduate programs, we're sitting around 20%. Of course, at UBC, we are working very hard, and our incoming class of women into our first-year engineering program is actually 29%. So we think it's very important that uh, girls are encouraged to participate in engineering careers. Um, they have a lot to bring to the table. We benefit from educating young women and men in terms of engineering and what they can do. And robotics is just one great place to demonstrate the impact of engineering in our society and also the integrated and interdisciplinary nature of what engineering and design and computing is all about. And it's also really, really fun and attractive. Um, so you said 11% of professional engineers in Canada are women. Wow, that's that's pretty low, I would say. 
Um, how does that number compare to robotics in general? Is there a number for that? Or? I don't have a number off the top of my head for robotics, but I can tell you it's from going to ICRA and to many other conferences. Um, it's pretty low. I usually get the bathroom all to myself. <laughs> However, there is an area of um, robotics that I'm pleasantly and ex excited about, which is human-robot interaction, which happens to be very interdisciplinary and very attractive to women. So you do see at HRI conferences and uh, conferences in that area, many more women participating, which I think is amazing and wonderful. Mm -hmm. So you run a human-robot interaction lab as well, right? Right, I do. So do you have a lot of uh, female engineers in your lab? Um, I think we have a, a certainly a good number, probably higher than most mechanical engineering labs. And I think partly is the um, interest of integrating people and robots together is very attractive to women. I also think it's just a, a lab culture thing that we certainly think that it's important to uh, bring people from all diverse groups to work together and play together in the work that we do. Okay. Um, so we've been talking about the number of women in engineering. Is that the only kind of measure that matters when it comes to talking about women in engineering issues? Well, I think um, numbers certainly matters, but I matter, but I do think that it's more than just numbers. I think it's participation rate, um, and it's also you know whether women leave the profession, whether they advance in the profession, both you know in engineering in general, but also in robotics. And so I think it's really important when you have any smaller group that you continue to support them all the way through their career. So I think uh, women in engineering and women in robotics groups are very, very important. I think mentoring is very important as well to support um, women as they're going through um, career, whether it's in industry or in academe. And um, I think the networks are very important too. I think it's really important to... Um, get to know each other and um, even if you're only one or two uh, women in a department, when you bring together m people from all over the country then you're not, or from all over the world, then you don't feel like you're so alone in what you're doing. And that's, that's the fun part of it as well. Mm -hmm. So speaking of mentorship, um, there's a lot of outreach or educational activities, uh, especially in terms of uh, robotics. And I just spoke with a couple of 17-year-old uh, twin sisters who started their own uh, outreach activities in robot robotics. But the question is, is there actually some evidence showing that outreach activities actually matter or um, they actually help engaging girls into science or engineering? Outreach is huge, and I know this numerically, and I also know this anecdotally. Um, we've been working at UBC with an outreach program called Gearing Up for nearly 20 years now and one of the big things that we do is we do uh, girls week outreach involving things like lego mindstorms and building robots as well as a bunch of other activities and we know that um, those are the people that are ultimately coming to engineering and and seeking out those opportunities to get involved um, we also see it when yesterday i was uh, meeting with all the scholarship winners who are coming into our first year program and another 
of the number of them specifically came to me and said, you know, I went to this women in engineering lunch, or I came to gearing up, or I came to your open house, and you talked to us about engineering and about the opportunities that we had in this career. And that's why I decided to come into engineering. So I do think that all the different ways that we do outreach, uh, one person at a time, it's very, very important because those are the people that need to be invited to come and participate in what is an amazing and exciting and rewarding career. So obviously, you probably go to um, go to give a lot of talks or engage yourself in in these outreach activities. Uh, but to what degree does it matter that women lead these activities or be present at these activities? I think it's really important to have role models. I think that especially for girls, they need to see themselves in the future. They think a lot. I get a lot of questions about things like how do you have a family and have an academic career, an industrial career. Girls actually ask those questions. And so I think it's important for them to see that it is um, possible to have the whole picture of life, maybe not all at the same time, but sometimes it has to be serial instead of parallel. But they do need to see themselves being successful. And especially in engineering, I think in robotics, having female role models who are out there having doing what they enjoy, um, having that full experience um, is very important to girls. So did you have a role model yourself when you were getting into engineering? Actually, I think I had a lot of encouragement. Um, not so much role modeling when I was um, a high school student. I don't think I knew very many women engineers or any women engineers. But I had a great deal of encouragement um, from my, my own parents, also from my high school teachers, um, who were mostly guys, but all very, very encouraging, especially my physics and math teachers, really encouraged me to pursue engineering. And I think that I probably would not have pursued it without their encouragement. Um, I also had great encouragement from actually university professors. Again, they were mechanical engineering professors, all guys at the time, but they were very welcoming, very inviting, and made me feel like I could succeed as an engineer. That was huge. Okay. Um, so obviously, um, you're an example of how teachers or parents or even, even professors can provide guidance into this kind of field. Um, So for, for parents or teachers of today, guiding the young minds of today, <laughs> for tomorrow, um, do you have any messages for them or any advice for them? Absolutely. I think we have to think broadly about what engineering is and how it is a good career for girls and boys that uh, we shouldn't close doors on people. We should open doors. And we should encourage um people to pursue this profession. It is creative. It is exciting. It is very diverse. It's everything from bridges to heart valves and anything in between in terms of if you use it, wear it, um, drive it or fly it, if, you, or if it helps you in your home, if any kind of product that you interact with, it's been engineered. And so there's so many opportunities for, for people to get involved in engineering. And it has such an important impact on our future as a society in terms of keeping our air clean and our water clean and providing transportation and food security um, and energy. These are all big things that 
engineers are involved with. So if you have young people that are passionate about making a change and a difference in this world, whether it be through robotics or anything else like that, do talk to them about engineering and don't close those doors because girls can do it and they can do a great job. And we need all those bright minds, girls and boys, to be part of our engineering family. So invite them in. Wow, that's that's so inspiring. I feel like I have to get back to engineering again. <laughs> okay, well, thank you very much for taking the time. Thank you, Ajung. It was really fun. And that's it for today's episode. If you're keen to learn more about women in STEM, just visit us at robotspodcast.com, where you'll also find all our past episodes. We'll be back in two weeks' time. Until then, goodbye. Women in STEM with Robots, the podcast for news and views on robotics.